In chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, the apostle continues a defense or an apologetic of his ministry. He refers to the sufficiency of his ministry. Who is it that enables him to actually accomplish it? Namely, God. Then he contrasts his ministry with those false teachers who corrupted the Old Testament, who denied the superiority of the new, who sought to Judaize the Gentile believers, and shows the contrast with the working of God's Spirit with their corrupt misunderstanding of the Old Testament. Hear now the reading of God's Holy Word, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Do we begin again to commend ourselves... Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Forasmuch as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart." And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory." For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, But their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Thus far the reading of God's holy word from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, we have the Apostles' Apology. He seemed to commend himself. And the question is, well, isn't that prideful? How could he not be a humble man? But here in his defense, he says, yes, I am sufficient. Yes, I am an able minister of the new covenant, but that is from God himself, not from myself. Moreover, he says, 
if you want in a letter that commends me to you, he said, read yourselves. You are our epistle, he says. Everyone could read it. The false apostles who came behind the apostle Paul, they had letters that said, hey, we commend these guys to you. Listen to them. They teach the truth. They teach you the ceremonies of the law that you ought to be circumcised and that you ought to keep all the laws of Moses. Paul taught no such thing. He taught the freedom from all of the ceremonies that God gave to the Jews. And so they said, Paul is false. Look at our letters of commendation. He has none. He says, you are my epistle. Ministered by us, verse 3 tells us. It's a matter of public manifestation of common knowledge throughout all the churches of Achaia and beyond. They knew that Paul ministered the gospel in Corinth first. He planted and founded that congregation. So they were his epistle. Now this, there is a figure of speech here. In fact, there are several. He uses allegory. He also uses a debate technique known as an argumentum ad hominem. That is an argument against the person, against their view, against their position. Now there is an abusive ad hominem where you say things that have nothing to do with the argument. Then there is an ad hominem where you take that person's argument and you show the flaws in that argument. Let me put it to you this way. Did Moses teach a covenant of works? Yes or no? No. We know clearly from the book of Hebrews that the gospel was preached to them by Moses and that they did not believe and that's why they didn't obtain the promise. That generation that died over the 40 years in the wilderness. They had the same gospel that we have. In fact, at the end of the passage, he says the reading of the law of Moses, the law of Moses isn't the problem. What is the problem? The veil that lies over their heart. And when the veil is taken away from the heart of Israel, they will believe the same gospel that we believe through the law of Moses. So the law of Moses is not a covenant of works. But if you said you must be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you must observe the Passover, you must follow the dietary restrictions, what are you turning the Old Testament into? Now that Christ has come, Now that he's engrafted the Gentiles, now that he's broken down that middle wall of partition, what are you doing? You're making the Old Testament something it was not intended to be, and that is his argument. You have made the Old Testament into a testament of condemnation rather than God's saving work, as he declares in the preface to the Ten Commandments. Those commandments written in stone, right at the beginning, what does he say? I am the Lord thy God. Now, how did they become his people? Well, he took them into covenant through Abraham, didn't he? He had to forgive their sins or they couldn't be his people. I am the Lord thy God. What did I do? I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I am your redeemer, in other words. I'm your covenant God. I have chosen you for my own. Therefore, keep my commandments. It's a covenant of grace. Covenant of works, you sin once, and what happens? Is there any forgiveness in a covenant of works? One sin, and you are doomed. How many times did Israel sin in the wilderness? Again, and again, and again, and again, and again. Even before they got out of Egypt, they sinned and disobeyed. They didn't believe in Moses. They didn't accept him as their prophet. 
They grumbled. You're making our lives worse. Ever since you came to redeem us, all we get is harder bondage. Did God reject them? Did God say, I'm finished? No, he pardoned the iniquity of his inheritance. So with that in mind, let's read. Let's think. These false apostles have tables of stone. You have been converted by my ministry with fleshly tables of the heart. Which one do you want, Corinthians? The false apostles or me, your true apostle? These who make merchandise of the gospel, these peddlers of the false gospel? Or do you want me, a true and able minister of the gospel? Those are your choices. He had a confidence. Verse 5 tells us not that he was sufficient of himself to think anything. He wasn't even able to think that he had enough in himself. Paul confessed his natural impotency to think that which is good or to the least beginnings of a good work, much less to the converting of the Corinthians. Okay, if I have nothing, no ability to convert, and yet you were converted, who did it? The Spirit of God. You are my epistle of commendation, he says. I don't need a letter from someone down in Jerusalem. Let us then look to God's grace as the Apostle Paul did. Let us rely upon it, boast in it, and gain our assurance and sufficiency for the Christian life as Paul did from God himself. Then verses 6 through 11, he does this argument to absurdity, this ad hominem against the false apostles, contrasting the Old and New Testaments. We are not, he says, of the letter, but of the Spirit. The letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. You have words on paper. You can read them. You can hear me preach them. You can hear someone else preach them. What are they if the Spirit of God does not use them? Do they give life in and of themselves? Are they some magic formula by which I say the words and poof, you're converted? No. The letter kills God must attend the letter with his spirit. He must take away the veil of the heart. And these men who say, you are justified by your external deeds, they make the letter of the law into a ministration of death. The Ten Commandments cannot save you by keeping them, much less the ceremonies of Moses. He contrasts the condemnation In verse 9, with righteousness, the law tells you to do certain things, but it provides no help in doing it. Man left to himself without the Spirit of God attending cannot be saved, even by the best words of the gospel. Now, when he refers in verse 11, he says, For if that which is done away was glorious, this is that which is in process of being done away. Right now, present tense. It was not yet done. The temple was not yet fallen, in other words. All the ceremonies that the Jews participated in, all the sacrifices, morning and evening, the incense, the priesthood, all those things were still in place. But there was a process underway from the resurrection of Christ, from his crucifixion, when the veil was rent in twain, until the destruction of the temple where God said, this is being done away with. This is in process. 
of being no longer. It will not come back. It will not be rebuilt. It has no value now, but the Jews still observed it, and some Christians did as well. Some Christians observed it, and some went to minister the gospel to the Jews there. But this glory was in process of being done away. Verses 12 through 17, we have the consequent duties because of the contrast between the false apostles and Paul, a true apostle. We have the duties that he and other ministers had, the privileges of those who hear the New Testament, and the working of God's Spirit via the Scriptures. He said, we have such hope, the hope of the gospel, the hope of the Holy Spirit, that he would use great plainness of speech. Since the gospel ministers eternal life, we don't have to hide anything. We don't have to conceal anything. We don't have to veil anything as Moses veiled his face. Why? Because the people could not look on his face. It shone from the presence of God. The people were afraid and they wanted him not to speak to them without a veil upon his face. Do we have such a veil? Do we need to conceal or veil the glory of Jesus Christ? Of course not. This is another figure of speech by which Moses is put for those who trust in the law for righteousness. He is allegorized as representing what these false apostles said. Well, if what you're saying is true, that's just like he's saying what happened with Moses. There was a veil. Then the veil is allegorized as the hardness of heart by which men will not receive what God has said. But that veil, how long did it last? There was a time coming when it would be abolished. The glory of Moses' face did not shine any longer. Is that true of Jesus? Is there a time when Christ's face will no longer shine with the glory of the gospel? Is there a time when we will say, no, we don't want to see the glory of Jesus Christ, as Israel said, no. So he contrasts, do you want a glory that perishes, that fades away? Even the glory of the giving of the law was temporary. Even the sacrifices, the priesthood and the temple were temporary. God had them come to an end. But there is no end to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is a time coming, he says, though the Jews read the Old Testament with a veil on their heart, he says, one day it will turn, their heart will turn to the Lord. That veil, what will happen to it? It will be taken away by the knowledge and spirit of Christ. And when they shall be converted into Christ, they shall, like us, be brought to the right understanding of the law. They will read the same Old Testament they've always been reading in their synagogues, but what will they see there? They will see what God put there. The glory of Jesus Christ, where we can see the glory of Christ even in the giving of the Mosaic law, which they cannot see. But one day they will. They shall turn, he says, verse 16, to the Lord, and that veil shall be taken away. The veil, they said, Moses, don't show me the glory of your face. They will say, I want to see the glory of Jesus the greater than Moses, the greater prophet, the greater priest, though now their heart is hardened. There is a day coming when God will draw them to Jesus Christ, and the law of Moses for the Jews will no longer be a closed book 
with a veil upon their heart and upon their eyes, but God will lift the veil. We must pray then for the conversion of the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles to come in, because God says that's the prelude for the conversion of the Jews. All Israel shall be saved once the fullness of the Gentiles is brought in. Now he says, verse 17, Jehovah, the Lord, is the Spirit. The Spirit of Almighty God is a full divine person, not merely an influence sent out from God. If the truth that he has portrayed with the false apostles and their letter and the true apostle and the Spirit of God, if that is the case, only God can save. Only God can take a blinder off of the heart. Only God can enable a minister to be a faithful minister of the New Testament as Paul was. Therefore, the Spirit of God is God. He is the Lord, co-equal and co-eternal with the Son and with the Father. One Jehovah, one Lord, one God in three persons. And where that Spirit of the Lord is, he says, there is liberty. How is it that we are released from the bondage of sin and death? but by the almighty power of God, by his Holy Spirit, by the law written upon the fleshly tables of the heart, not on tables of stone. And so we, by having the Spirit of God given to us, having the bondage of Lord's sin broken over us, we now come face to face, he says, with an open face, not a veiled face, As in a glass, like a mirror, when you look and see your own reflection, the law gives us a reflection of Jesus Christ. We can see the face of Christ in the scriptures, even in the Old Testament scriptures. Let us then pray that God will change us into the same image of Christ, which we see lively written for us in the scriptures of both the Old and especially in the New Testament. Let us pray that God would enable us to enjoy the liberty we have in his spirit, that he would give us the illuminating power of that spirit upon the word when we read it, that we might be metamorphosed, changed from one degree of glory into the next, that is, sanctification, that the scriptures would form our character, that we would behold the face of Jesus Christ even in the law of Moses. Let us then read, meditate upon, hear, and lay up in our hearts practicing in our lives the word of Almighty God, and thus much the explanation of 2 Corinthians chapter 3.